Welcome to Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Each week, we explore down and dirty ways to stop awfulizing, catastrophizing, going down the rabbit hole, and moving through all the craziness that is happening right now. We're here to create a community of like-minded people as we give you tips, tricks, and techniques for keeping sane in an unhinged world. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Grossberg, one of your co-hosts for the podcast, Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World. And I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Post, on the other side of the world. Hey, Michelle. <laughs> or the country. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here today. And thanks for uh, listening. Yeah. And, and we've got our special guest today, who Michelle Woo-hoo! will introduce in a minute. Mm-hmm. And people will come and go, as you know. So uh, hello to those who are here <laughs> live. Uh, I do want to make a comment because it's the elephant in the room this morning. Uh, I did receive a number of emails and uh, text. Facebook went down. Instagram went down worldwide. So, uh, so there was no way to promote this anymore through those, although LinkedIn <laughs> is still working. Uh, some of you who are here today, I wound up uh, sending private links to. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm assuming everybody will pick this up on the replay, but that's, that's what has uh-huh. happened this morning and is probably causing all kinds of angst for people who are social media addicted and habitual <laughs> about it. Uh-huh. What in the world will we do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What will we do? To- oh my God, Facebook went down. Um, <laughs> Considering so the t- fires in my life right now, <laughs> it's so minor. <laughs> Are you a firefighter today, Michelle? I have been a firefighter for several months, but today feels like one of those days where you take two steps forward and five steps backward. You know, you try to be productive and get something done and you think you make progress and then you just have to solve your problems all over again because that didn't work. Oh, this is is what we call firefighting with a glass of water. (laughs) Well, I have coffee. Does that count? Probably should be drinking. No, 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 not. No, this is where you take the glass of water, run around and you just throw the glass of water. (laughs) Uh, You know what, what? Remember when we were chatting, totally off subject, but remember when we were chatting and I said, what, what am I, chop liver? Like there's that statement, what am I, chop liver? And you and I both said kind of instantaneously, Scott, I don't know why that saying is that saying, because chop liver is really kind of delicious yeah. if you've ever had it. <laughs> so yeah. shouldn't it be like, don't you know I'm chop liver? <laughs> well, anyway. great, great reframe, great reframe. <laughs> Uh, so Michelle, you, you and I usually spend about 15 minutes talking about client themes and life themes that we go to. However, today Mm -hmm. I have asked a a special dispensation uh, because it's, this is not only a big topic today, but it is something that's very near and dear to my heart because it's not only something that I've learned, it's something I use and it's something that I work with my own clients with. Uh, and I have for in varying degrees. So uh, Michelle, unless you have something huge that you want to chat about, which I, you know, I don't really do. I, I actually, and, and today is near and dear to my heart because uh, our special guest is a good friend and colleague of mine. So I want to give her all the time possible, but I, I did, for those of you, some of our audience are grievers. And for those of you that are grievers, I brought a simple quote. And that's what I'm going to share today as my opening. It comes from Caitlin Dowdy's book. Um, She's a mortician and an author of a book called Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory. (laughs) And it says, accepting death doesn't mean you won't be devastated when someone you love dies. It means you'll be able to focus on your grief, unburdened by the bigger existential questions like, why do people die? And why is this happening to me? Death isn't happening to you. Death is happening to us all. Oh, yeah, I, great. Can, great. can I say something? <laughs> you can chime in early if you want to, Diane. Oh, I just wanted to say, Michelle, I had someone dear, near and dear die today. So that was really, oh. that was very touching for me that I'm going to share with them. So thank you. Yeah. That, yeah. It is wonderful. And, and for those of you who have not seen it yet, I do remind all of you to go watch the Ram Doss 
uh, Ram Dass uh, documentary where he talks about the greatest gift we're doing is leading each other home. Oh. Uh, and, and the concept that he goes through. The other thing, I didn't know we were going to chat about this Sorry. today. That's okay. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've said I before. I used to call myself a death chick, so you're welcome. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know, I, I, I've, I've said before that I have a personal philosophy that we're all grieving and going through that process from the moment we're born. Absolutely. Uh, and even as I passed on, I'll keep, continue to say it, the quote that, why don't we treat people, everybody you meet, if you treat them like their heart is breaking, yeah. because it probably is, it will change the world environment. Um, that said, what the hell do you do with grief, right? And, and so one of the things that will tie in with today, uh, and I have not spoken with our wonderful guest, although she and I have a lot in common, I think. Um, you know, <laughs> one of the things that at least I learned with our topic today is you've got two different places in your body, the activation places and the resource places. And when you're grieving, one of the best things that you can do is notice where that grief is in your body and embrace it. Don't run from it. Don't kick it under the rug. Don't, mm -hmm. you know, kick the can down the road, but mm -hmm. lean into what it is that you're feeling, breathe into that and understand that the grief is something you're going through. It does not define you. Mm -hmm. Well said. With that, well said. I'm going to let you do the introduction because I think it's yeah. going to be fascinating today. Well, so our guest today is uh, Ms. Diane Belinsky, LCSW, and she's a good colleague and friend of mine, long-standing relationship. It's great to have good therapists and healers in your life when you are a therapist and a healer. So I want to give you Diane's uh, sort of bio so those of you listening can get to know her. Uh, Diane is passionate and curious about people. I think you'll see that right away. She likes to process and uh, see how change occurs. But her journey began in the macro sense as a successful business consultant 20 years ago, helping organizations change and become more effective. So she wasn't always a therapist, but she was always a natural leader with a big picture theory brain and yearned for a career that not only fostered those talents, but touched her soul and helps other people along the way. So throughout her journey, she discovered how intimately tied the mind and body are, which led to a certification in Swedish and deep tissue massage. Today, she works primarily with individuals looking at their unique experience and lens in the world. And she assists them with how to enjoy chaos, discomfort, and change <laughs> instead Amen. of being ruled by fear. Woo, that's a big task, enjoying chaos, discomfort, and change instead of being ruled by fear. Now, for those of you who want to know about her private practice, it's in West Los Angeles, California, and she integrates the body or somatic the mind or psycho and the spiritual or ethos in order to improve the quality of life for her clients. Diane has a ton of work in grief counseling for 15 years, which is actually where we met at our house. It's, it's uh, our house. And then one legacy and comfort zone camp. We, we crossed bridges and at all of those grief organizations. And while working at children's hospital, Los Angeles, she gained extensive experience in assessing for child abuse and neglect her experience in treating survivors of human trafficking, sexual abuse, domestic violence, and other trauma is just so unique. She has also extensive experience working with individuals who are dealing with anxiety and depression or who may be using or abusing substances to cope or who are experiencing physical, mental, or emotional discomfort. So when Scott and I decided that we wanted somebody to come and help our community, our keeping your shit together community, understand brain spotting, Diane came to mind. So welcome, Diane. Thank you for being here with us today. Oh, Michelle, thanks so, so much for having me. And Scott, nice to meet you too. Nice to meet you. After that bio, it's been a great show, everybody. And <laughs> call Diane. <laughs> just call Diane. Um, I also really just wanted to say it's such an honor to be a colleague of Michelle and she's been a mentor of mine, you know, early on for many years, I've known Michelle 20 years. So 
it just, I was clearly doing business consulting when I met Michelle and then <laughs> volunteered in grief counseling after both of my parents died when I was young. And now it's just so wonderful to have seen both of us grow over the last 20 years and become really close friends and colleagues and, you know, work together to help people navigate this really anxious, stressful world uh, in a more graceful way. Um, and I just am grateful for you. And, and it's so nice to meet Scott. So I'm glad to be here. Scott, do you want me to jump into a little bit about the background of brain spotting or how do you want to start? Uh, yeah, well, you know, before we get into the background and its originator and some of the things that you and I chatted with right before we went on air, I think just to kind of tease everybody, sure. maybe, maybe you could just offer to them. So why, how does brain spotting help somebody? And then we can describe what it is, yeah. but, but yeah. how does it help? What does it do? That's a great question. I would say in general, our whole focus or should be our focus is as therapists is moving people from dysregulation to regulation. So in our bodies, I, the way I explain it, or I think the way Dan Siegel explains it is there's this natural like window of tolerance and our bodies, if you, since you guys can't see, but if you imagine like a wave, that's sort of like a slow wave it moves up and we get up into a sympathetic state where we're really high and heightened when something happens when we're triggered and then it moves down into a parasympathetic state, which is where we're calm. And when we have a regulated nervous system, we just, we move in a flow. Something you can hear like, you know, a really loud bang outside and all of a sudden your body, it, it goes into the, the jump, the sympathetic, it moves up, but then it realizes, oh, that was just a backlash of a car. And then it comes down to the sympathetic. So, or parasympathetic. So a normal healthy nervous system moves like in a, in a little slow flow of a wave. But what happens for dysregulated people or people that are traumatized is that their window of tolerance, it goes outside of the window of tolerance. So essentially you're going to, and I'm, if everybody knows this, I apologize, but I'd love to give a little background. Oh, this is, we, we've yeah, got people perfect. with all different backgrounds that go for it. So what happens when you're, when people are extensively traumatized in cho as children, or they have like problems with attachment, even attachment problems as children can cause trauma, your body, your heart rate variability gets out of whack. And your body would, instead of when it gets traumatized, when it hears the noise, it can go up and then it can stick up and it sticks mm -hmm. up really high. And we call that in a, in a sense, that could be flight. You know, you could just run off. Um, or that could be fight mode. You could end up just fighting somebody. So you're constantly, you're, you're really high up and you can't come back down. Um, the opposite can also happen. A lot of people get numb and they just get stuck in the bottom. So they don't even shoot up when they hear the noise. And that's people who are often frozen. Their body just can't, it, it doesn't have a response. So what we try to do in, in general, I think as therapists is to really help people get into an emotionally regulated state into this healthy nervous system and window of tolerance. Brain spotting is so great, like other somatic therapy. So that, you know, Dan Siegel, I think invented, what is it? Somatic experiencing, am I wrong? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so essentially brain spotting incorporates somatic uh, work and mindfulness to help the body move into this window of tolerance so that when we're triggered in the world, we learn how to have our body learns how to have a more emotionally regulated response. It doesn't not get triggered. It may get triggered a lot less. It may be able to behave differently. We may be able to process differently. And it, that along with brain spotting, along with somatic experiencing, along with some of these other things we talked about earlier, Scott, EMDR, or other types of um, somatic, you know, and mindfulness approaches, uh, neurofeedback, biofeedback. I think you mentioned another one, Scott, at the name is escaping Peter Peter Levine, self-comforting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all of that really helps us to become more, more regulated. Brain spotting also uses eye and sound, um, which I know is maybe this is getting into too much, but you said, how does it help people? Well, the eye is the vision is takes up half, nearly half of the brain, the way the brain processes. So we've learned doctors and neuro, I think it's neuro psych neurophysicists. I'm going to, don't quote me on that, mm -hmm. but essentially somebody who studies the eye, that's a doctor will, will has done a ton of studies about how eye position and eye impacts the subcortical brain and the processing of trauma. And that's how a lot of these therapies moved into using eyes, the EMDR or brain spotting and sound. Similarly, sound is, uh, you know, accesses, I think is the amygdala. If I'm not, I could be wrong with that. Um, let me look. Yeah. So essentially, 
um, sorry, smells with the amygdala. And, and so we, we, we often want to look at the, the, the smell, the sound, and the eye position to help us to get at the subcortical parts of the brain, which is where trauma is and where we can start you know, processing and regulating versus the frontal lobe, the neocortex, which isn't really where trauma is stored. It's more our thinking brain. So let, let me make this a little, um, I, 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 and I know you and I can talk at a different depth and, and profound level of this, but for me, I've always loved what David Grand, who's the, the, the originator of this came up with, and that's where you look is how you feel. And so the idea of brain spotting for me, Diane, correct me if I'm wrong, is to help people find the visual accessing points that either uh, reflect where in their body, because we want to talk about that, I think at some point, what activates and what is a resource, um, what helps them feel better, empowered, at, calmer, or grounded, and what is activating, triggering, stressing them out. And I, I'm going to pass on, I don't think we've ever talked about her on the show before, but for any of you who may know who Kelsey J. Patel is, uh, Kelsey does a lot of energy work in Los Angeles, and uh, Kelsey takes exactly what Diane was talking about, but likens it to a different metaphor, which kind of resonated with me because I used to surf, and that is, if you will think of what your body's reaction to stress and joy are as the wave behind the boat. And you're, you're water skiing in it, right? Or you're surfing. And the wave, just imagine that wave, even if you just go to the beach and watch the wave come in, there's a crest and there's a trough. There's always, every wave has a high point and a low point. And what Diane was talking about is we're getting stuck sometimes. We get stuck in the higher, we get mm -hmm. stuck in the low, usually in the low, because that's when we notice it. And our hypervigilance remains stuck on. And so for me, at least brain spotting has been a way to mechanically and methodically, it, it's a pattern interrupt, really is what this is for me. It's interesting. I, so many things you, that you said, Scott, I want to respond to, but a couple, I'm going to do a couple, which is the first one you were talking about what we call the resource model or the activation model, which you were saying the eye position you know, is associated with in our body where we're activated, we find a body position, like you see, you look up, you know, everybody right now who's listening can just glance up and look around the room and notice in their body, wow, do I become more activated in this spot? Or do I become more calm in this spot? <clears throat> but in general, in with brain spotting, we tend to use the activation model, we use a resource model, really, when somebody has complex PTSD, and, and that can touch on a little a difference, maybe between EMDR and brain spotting further on. But also what you were kind of saying about, you know, how the body responds to trauma, I think about we use brain spotting for addiction too. we have an addiction model, um, and also an OCD model and the brain, as we know, with Norman Dodge, he explained how there's neuroplasticity in the brain and how the brain really can get stuck in positions. And trauma does that and we need to create new neurons firing in a different way. And to do that, it's an interrupter, as Scott just mentioned. So really what, you know, I love that you said David Grant says really brain spotting can be used with anybody because essentially we <laughs> are in, in an addicted yeah. society today. Mm -hmm. Everybody is addicted to their phones, to TV. They're addicted to their social uh, media uh, that just went down. <laughs> people are addicted to feeling. And when mm -hmm. you're addicted to feeling, then you're going to really go up and you're going to go down. You know, a Buddhist approach as well. The goal is to not get too high when you feel excited and not get too low when you feel depressed but it's to have detachment. So a lot of mindfulness is just that witnessing, right? And then to notice your body. So really, I think brain spotting can help for anybody. He's right. Every, especially today when we're in the middle of COVID, when people have experienced so much trauma and addiction is very prevalent in the world. Even if somebody's just addicted, like Michelle says, to social media or checking their phone, it doesn't have to be drugs, alcohol, sex, food. It could be, you know, so that can really help. Uh, you know, it may, and maybe this is a good point now to, you know, you hear about brain spotting, right? When I first heard about this, obviously mm -hmm. I went to train spotting yeah, that's and, <laughs> and, and, and I'm, it's like, what the hell is this brain spotting thing? <laughs> and, you know, I knew about the NLPI accessing cues and I knew about EMDR, but what the hell is brain spotting? Yeah. And, and, and then it was explained to me as, and I know you talked about CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and some of these other things and to experience it 
uh, is a little different. And maybe Diane, could you just real briefly, when you are doing a brain spotting session with someone, it's not hypnosis, folks. There's nobody doing this to you. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Diane, you could just explain very briefly for people who've never heard of this before, yeah. what exactly it is. So I know you want to ask that question. Can I at least do a, just a little background of how we David Grant founded it and then move sure. in? Okay, absolutely. Just because it'll help make sense. So David Grant was working with, I think, a 12, 13-year-old girl who was trying to um, master the triple loop. And he was using what we call revised version of EMDR called natural flow. So EMDR, I don't know for people listening, is eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And I'm not going to describe it too much, but it uses eye position and it uses a lot of specific techniques you, you have to stick with. Well, what he found is that some clients were too overwhelmed by the power of EMDR. And so what he, he would slow down the eye movements to make them more soothing. And with clients who became too activated, he'd have them shift their awareness from the place in their body where they felt the stress to a place where they felt calm and grounded. So when the skater imagined herself doing this triple loop in slow motion, he sort of guided her to freeze at the moment she felt herself like going off balance. So while she tracked his finger, which you do that in EMDR, you track a, a practitioner will use the finger or other things to move. He guided her to freeze the moment she felt herself go off balance. And while she tracked his finger, he noticed all eyes wobbling and instinctively he told her to hold this point, hold a gaze. And then a torrent of trauma material poured out for the next 10 minutes. And she locked on this one point. And despite one year of 90 minute EMDR sessions, these new memories of like maternal abandonment leading to parental divorce and countless sports injuries just flowed out with intense emotion. So mm -hmm. Grand was so struck by both the new material emerging after the year of intensive treatment, but also the issues that had been resolved sort of reemerged and processed through at a deeper level. And the next day, the skater performed a flawless triple loop for the first time, and then she never had a problem again. Wow. So when you think of, why I want to explain that is, EMDR uses really a specific protocol. Mm -hmm. And while that seems to be important for some people, it also, the procedures we've noticed emphasize on um, technical and not relational. Therefore, therapists are like less attuned, perhaps to, we, we believe less attuned to the client and the client sort of attunement isn't as, doesn't receive as much attention. So really personally, my opinion as, you know, going through trauma and all of this is when I do not like somebody telling me what to do when I've already been traumatized, not, not everybody's like that, but I'm saying I have found clients feel the same. So brain spotting is really now I'll answer Scott's question is really a tool. We're going to work together with you. You're, if you come into the office and it's going to be a, um, a collaborative process, it's not going to be follow these steps and essentially, yeah, we use sometimes a pointer, which helps us to get you to look at a certain spot in the room, but we also just ask you to gaze in certain positions. There are different techniques that we use along with sound. You're going to put on bilateral sound, which is similar to EMDR. That's been known. It goes in one ear and out the other. You can listen to that at home. And that, again, sound accesses the subcortical, the midbrain and the, the lower parts of the brain, which really help with us get in touch with um, our trauma, our regulations. So Diane, I'm going to interrupt you here yeah. just to give our listeners a quick little tip. Sure. Num number one, um, it's it, the biolateral music you can now download for free online. So you, it's nothing big. And it, now David Grand himself has released some CDs that you can get. For those of you who know binaural music, um, you might find some similarities, but I'm going to let you now in on one of Scott's little productivity tips. I listen to the bilateral music without brain spotting or gaze spotting. I listen to just the music as I'm working on projects yeah. or want to be highly focused and is constantly playing in my head. And I really invite all of you, if nothing else, to take a look at what's called bilateral music. Yeah, I'm thanks. sorry, Diane. 
No, thank you for saying that, Scott, because I was already going to say I mostly recommend clients to do it before bed for sleep as well. It's a beautiful, if your clients are having trouble sleeping, listening to bio or bilateral, don't, it doesn't matter much. You can just put it in Spotify or Apple. Um, if you have iTunes, if you put bilateral or bio lateral, there's free playlists, either it's similar. David Graham coined bio lateral, but it's similar music. I think Scott used a different word. And really the point of the music is it uses both sides. It moves from one ear to the other and it's really soothing and i'm so glad you listened to it as well um just also just because i was telling you about the background one other thing is people might ask and you didn't ask this but might ask like well what is the evidence around this or what do we know too much about it and i just wanted to say they used it in the sandy hook shootings michelle i know that you oh, do a lot with survivors I David Grant has worked with hundreds of survivors from 9-11 you would really have a lot mm. in common with him i think you would love to meet him <laughs> and he also um he also worked they so they did brain spotting in sandy hook and it was the number one uh it, sort of the, I don't know how they say the number one best response. So essentially most effective treatment most effective mm -hmm. treatment. and it, because it lasted the longest. So mm -hmm. I think EMDR was like, I want to say not in like number seven or eight, it didn't even mm -hmm. come in. I think what David termed NLP was second. So it's mm -hmm. interesting um, that there is a ton of evidence after six months, CBT, EMDR and brain spotting, brain spotting had the longest lasting uh, results yeah. for the Sandy Hook survivals. And then there's just multiple studies conducted on the efficacy for PTSD, which support brain spotting. Obviously, there, if you want to know more, brainspotting.com has a ton of the evidence stuff. Yeah. So the, Diane, but yeah. ultimately, because I'm assuming you've been through it yourself, and I've been through it myself. Michelle hasn't been. And, and so if you and I, if you were going to describe to Michelle what the actual session yeah, looks is like. like, what, how would you describe it for her? This is the question I think I asked you not to ask me. <laughs> you did. I know. Yeah. So I'm going to then preface it a little bit more. Ev the greatest thing again about brain spotting is every therapist uses it differently. I think David, you mentioned, wow, I use it all the time, but I use a ton of other modalities. Me too. Like I trained in using somatic approaches, a lot of EMDR therapists, I think 90% of the people who took brain spotting training had been trained in EMDR and were using yeah. it. So yeah. if you imagine, I hate to tell all everybody out there listening, like the truth is all the practitioners are going to use it differently and they're going to incorporate all of their own interventions, which is what's so great about brain spotting. And I think that's the important, ultimately, that's where I wanted to kind of go with yeah, this was like, it's like, there is, there is, there is no, there's no script. There's no script. But I can, I can tell you a little bit more about some of what we do, but I, I will tell you, I've been using it. Um, Scott, you said also with Zoom or not Zoom over the last year and a half, two years. So I got trained in brain spotting like six months or eight months before COVID. Mm -hmm. And then I did my second training during COVID, like remote. So I, it was so great because if I, I did the training remote, I had to experience like, how does this work over the internet with a, <laughs> with a pointer and or and or with gay spotting or whatever we use. And it definitely still works. And I, I have not seen it lose efficacy. I personally feel that and you guys can correct me, you know, Michelle and Scott, what you think, but I never did remote sessions until COVID. I very much believe in attunement with a client in person is so effective for me. I can read a lot of body language. There's just, there's not a wall up. So for me, it's always going to be um, advantageous and a better treatment if we're in person, but it doesn't lose a ton of efficacy for people that are very comfortable with that and want that. I, I would encourage either way is fine. Um, so, so depending on the client, I may be using different techniques throughout and I may just do 20 minutes of brain spotting. I may do the whole session. I did like a whole session plus with another client, but essentially you want, essentially you're taking Michelle, Michelle, if you came into my office and you said, Diane, I just want to do brain spotting because of the grief I'm going through right now. Mm -hmm. And every time I think of, I'm going to use an example, you know, every time I think of this person who died in my life, I feel overwhelmed. My heart starts to race. I just, I'm like frozen on things or when I, you know, make my coffee in the morning and I smell the coffee, it reminds me of this person. And I just, I can't move on with my day and I'm just dysregulated. I would say, great. Why don't we sit down and put on the music and, you know, sit in the chair and I may or may not, but I'll give you an example. I use this pointer that I have 
And I would, I would encourage you to find in your body to think about making your coffee. So start to make your coffee, smell the coffee. So get yourself activated to the point you were outside the room that morning. And it's good when it's really current for someone, if that makes sense, when something just happened and you're like, yeah, I'm making my coffee. And then I'm asking what's going on in your body. And you're talking about your body. And I'm going to ask you like how activated you are from a one to 10. And we're going to work through that. And you're going to tell me, oh, I need this or that. And then I may try three. This is just one type. There are several different interventions for brain spotting, but I'm just describing one. So you have an idea. I may ask you to look at, you know, my pointer looking to your left or, you know, your right and then straight ahead and then to the other side. Exactly. So you'll move your eyes, you'll hold it there and you'll check if the activation is higher or lower in each of those positions. And when you're finished, I'm get, you're going to tell me like, let's say, oh, it's an eight over here. When I look to my, my right, it's an eight. But when I look to my left, it's a three. And in the middle, it's about the same. I'll say, Michelle, where do you want to start? So the difference between EMDR and brain spotting is you are deciding. Mm-hmm. You are in control of what feels safe for you. Mm-hmm. And for someone who's traumatized or activated, I believe that brings a lot of agency. And it's mm-hmm. so, it helps so much for someone feeling in control of what is happening and deciding. And then we work from that position somatically. I may use prompts, but mostly I'm quiet and you're processing. And I may use some prompts that help you get deeper. Just feel that. Just know that may pass. I may say, let's be curious about that feeling. It's an important one. I may say all sorts of things, but mostly it's to get you deeper into that process. Did that help, Scott? Was that- it, it, it did. And the reason I ask that is because there are a lot of people that are just like, okay, you guys keep dancing around this yeah. word, but what the hell is it that happens? <laughs> and, it, and, and folks, it may be nothing more than you sitting down, gazing at a, a location that feels either more resourceful or more activated for you. And you're working through this. It's basically a self-guided meditation. Now, to a certain degree, by the way, for those of you with a Zen Buddhist background, again, I'm, I'm trying to synthesize and integrate everything in here. Um, it, it's very simple, very similar to what Pema Chodron talks about with her Bodhisattva mind. Mm-hmm. And she, it's not running away from grief, not running away from pain, not running away from suffering. It's actually leaning into it and letting it work out. The beauty of this is whether you buy into uh, what Pema teaches or you're into that kind of philosophy or not, it's like a great weight lifts off you. It, it, I don't know how else to describe what, what this does, at least my experience with it. It's, it's literally, you become that objective observer again, because you're processing, rewiring and reframing in your own head. Some and, people do that. And, Some and, and almost harder, but yes. Yeah. And now bear in mind, my experience with it, the way I work with other people is I, I work with resource triggers rather um, rather than activation triggers because i'm not a therapist so yeah so again i if you're trained scott and i know you have been but i'm yeah. saying if you go through and you're certified there's four levels of training and you end up getting certified mostly in, if you want to correct me it's fine but i'm saying mostly i work with a lot of the experts that that, te- that are trainers across the world there's like um you know, 65 trainers internationally and we have now about 13,000 practitioners around the world but the resource model is used a lot less. It's used more for com- complex trauma. The EMDR really relies heavily on a resource model. And that, again, there's, if you're wondering a little bit of the difference that brain spotting does not rely as much on resourcing. We assume right. that you're going to resource yourself. And we're all, the practitioners that do it, I feel are very experienced, like Scott himself, that have done so much of this work themselves with somatic work or EMDR that we know enough about resourcing uh, from my experience of what, I, what I've heard in brain spotting and other people's some of the practitioners rely too heavily on on um, resourcing because of their own inability to withstand and hold pain so th- there's this thing of uncertainty promotes and is necessary for attunement and any form of certainty even if it's really subtle is going to undermine attunement and I do think a lot of therapists or people in general have a hard time sitting with uncertainty in themselves. And this is the biggest problem in general with a somatic type of work. So you, it's easier to do CBT or talk based and your cortex based therapy when, when you, when you, 
when you're a certain person, when you're outcome focused, when you're goal oriented, when all of that is important to you. But if you really want to become more uncertain and curious in the moment and watch something unfold and you've done that work in yourself, then you're going to be able to hold this space for a client no matter how activated they get because you're not stressed about having to control them or change them. Yeah. And you will feel safe even if they don't come off this crest, like you're saying, even if they don't feel relief, you will understand, well, they've lived like this for a long time. They may feel some relief. They may feel some relief 48 hours later. A lot of this unfolds over the next 48 hours too. So I have a lot of clients that do have complex trauma and they do many sessions with me. And sometimes it's not every week. Sometimes they don't do it. And then they do it when something triggers them and it's layer upon layer. Now, yeah. your point, when you do like, let's say you do, there isn't complex trauma and you've you're going through something that is traumatic that can, you can feel an extensive relief in one session. I'm not to negate what you're saying. Literally I've had clients who have done one, two sessions, three sessions, and it's changed their life. And then there's com complex trauma clients who need a lot of sessions or different things because there's so much that's layered upon layered that takes a lot of attunement and, and processing. Now I, I want to interrupt here and give one anecdotal uh, thing for everybody for those of you who are listening, I know we have business people who listen to this on replays. It's they're like little, they go on a trip, they listen to the show while they're doing that. <laughs> let, let me tell you empirically my experience with brain spotting. And it started with NLP, eye accessing cues. I was a trial lawyer in high profile, high risk, high exposure cases for three decades. I used this on juries. How about let's just start with that. And it, it, let me tell you how practical this can be. And that is talking to someone, a juror in my case, where I'm talking about fundamental fairness and brutal honesty and these things where nobody wants to sit in judgment of somebody else. We're putting them under extreme, immediate, acute stress. And all I have to do is ask them, think of the time when you experienced fundamental fairness or time when you know, honesty was the most important thing. And I'm watching their eye accessing cues. I'm watching where they're looking. And then guys, believe it or not, I'm just going and standing where they're looking. Mm -hmm. So it becomes, I become a human pointer mm -hmm. and I'm moving them in the direction. That's why I said, Diana, I work a lot with resource rather than I don't want to put them under more stress. Absolutely. That makes I'm, look, I'm asking them to do that. So for you business people, the reality is this, the, the brain spotting concept, which to me is an extension of NLPI accessing cues, um, is so powerful because we all do it. Even as you're watching the show right now, for those of you joining yeah, us, I don't live. know if I call that brain body, but we can tell people how to model it for themselves at home. And yeah, right. let's, <laughs> let's do that because you and I have done enough about you've done NLP, EMDR, brain spotting. We I've done enough of my own work on all. Yeah. So we absolutely can tell people what to do at home, which was at the end of my uh, my thing. I was going to do that, but yeah, I that's a good. Thank you for let's go there. Yeah. Oh, by the way, for non-psychobabble people out there, resource model means oh, good <laughs> accessing point. Good point. Um, sources of coping. Like, can we? Yeah. So we so break that down. And then, and then, it, it, Scott, maybe let's just. I'll just explain what you could do at home, like you said. So yeah, yes. go for it. Here's the thing. So when we talk about what what the heck is. A resource, resource model. model it's in your body right now everybody can do it right now so i want you everybody to look in their body shut their eyes if they want or see where your eyes gaze either thing you could just look somewhere where your eyes gaze or shut your eyes and feel in your body the most where it feels the most calm grounded or neutral you just take a deep breath breathe in through your nose out through your mouth and just try to pay attention to where is the most calm, grounded, or neutral in your body. And if you don't know, that's okay. Sometimes it's the heaviest place. Sometimes it's a place where you feel safe. So just try to pay attention. And if you had your eyes shut, open your eyes and glance around the room and see, hmm, what in the room resonates with this part in my body? So let's say it's your butt or your thighs and they feel really grounded. And you glance up and you can see this place in front of you. And wow, that really resonates with your butt or your thighs. Just stare at that for a while and pay attention to the most calm, grounded, or neutral part in your body. And just keep breathing and paying attention to it and see what happens. 
And you can do that for one to three minutes at your house. You can do it between breaks in your meetings. Anytime you have meetings, if you're a business person and you're back to back, that's absolutely something you can do. Scan your body for some place that's calm, neutral, or grounded. And just sit there. And sorry, my voice wasn't so calm right now. We are in hyperstate. So I kind of a fast talking. I usually do it more calmly at, with my clients. But um, how, did, how did that work? Does that explain the resource model a little, Michelle? I think so. So uh, basically you're looking for your own natural resources within yourself to keep yourself calm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Diane, do, do, Diane do, do you use the SUD scale for all of these or do you sometimes skip over it? I always use it. Okay. I also would say that gaze spotting, just because you brought it up, Scott, we mostly use it for when someone comes into your office, Michelle, do you ever notice they're like, sometimes they're telling you a story what happened yesterday and they just can't stop. Like, oh my God, yes. I, my brother yes. called me they rattle. and I heard my sister-in-law's dad died and no breath. And they're going, and you feel, that. I do it myself activated and you feel them activated, right? You know, they're activated. Uh-huh. That's the best part to use gaze spotting because we don't want to interrupt their process and tell them to focus somewhere. We want to see where they're looking. So they're staring somewhere and they're, and they're telling you this whole story, just encourage them. I encourage you if they want to look at you and stop, you can say, I encourage you just to keep staring where you're staring and keep telling the story and notice what happens in your body. So gaze spotting is very powerful when someone is already in a spot and they're engrossed in this activation model. Often it's flowing out of them. It's a great tool. And I don't want people to use this on their own. I'm just describing because um, Scott brought up like what standing in the way these different things. I, I think I want to make sure people don't go off and do things on their own without being <laughs> So I want Good. to tell you when we do use it. And I also want you to know a trained practitioner is going to know how and when and why to use these things in a really, in a safe space that when people do get dis dysregulated or deactivated or sorry, dysregulated or too heightened, we can help people with other tools we have with resourcing model with other tools that we have to help people become more grounded or neutral or calm. Now I'm, I'm going to just, again, throw in from my experience, one little bit of warning for those of you who are hypnotherapists who listen to this, because I know we've got a lot of you. Uh -huh. it, it's one thing to use hypnotherapy, guided visualization, and other linguistic tools to get your client to a state where they can experience brain spotting. I really do not recommend you use hypnotherapy and brain spotting at the same time, because the client will already be going to the resource place they need to go or the activation place. You don't need to enhance it for them. And unless you're using clean language and the hypnotherapist will know what I'm talking about, let the client in my experience have the adventure and take you on the quest with them. Don't start taking them with your hypnotherapy scripts because you want to show off into a deeper brain spotting session. You really don't need it. And now listening to you again, Scott, I want to make another caveat that no one should be using brain spotting without getting trained. Yeah. So I know that if there's hypnotherapists on the line or you're hearing me talk about gaze spotting and you're, you're, you know, thinking, oh, I can do this. I just, I would encourage you don't do it, it with to go take one phase of training and then yes. do it. And so another point to make is do I have to be certified, Diane, to do brain spotting? Oh, no, great question. You don't have to be certified, but you have to at least take one training session. And there's mm -hmm. amazing trainers. I love Pi Fry. She's my fave. Just a little shout out to Pi. Um, <laughs> she's in Colorado, but she does online training. And so if you, if you want, just take, if you're a therapist, it's really three days or four days and you can then use brain spotting. And there's up to four phases, like I said, and you can get certified, but you absolutely do not need to be certified to practice. So Diane, real, real quickly, in case people want to, because again, just another little warning, this is the lawyer hat in me. You do, you know, sometimes people will, will touch in with deep trauma. And if you're not experienced and licensed and qualified to work with deep trauma, right. um, this is not something you, you, this isn't a hobby and something you mm -hmm. double with. So you want to contact someone like Diane, Diane, how, again, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. Also, I have a ton of years in trauma, right? Training. So I right. get therapists that are taking this, you know, I I've used mindfulness and CBT and somatic approaches for trauma. Mm -hmm. Oh, my website is dianebelinski.com. 
but, and my name is spelled D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-I-N-S-K-Y, dianebelinsky.com. And then all my contact is there. And brainspotting.com can give you more um, background on this. And also it has a directory list of people that are certified in your area or just have experience. Like, you know, like Scott, I think has some training in it. Maybe if he wanted his name on there, it could be in the directory. So basically as long as you've had one training, you put your name in the directory and that's where you can find folks that are really certified in this. All right. So the one I'm sorry, last go ahead, Michelle. Because yeah, go of for it. Time, um, we're running out of our, our time today. Brain spotting or not, this is an this is um a podcast about keeping your shit together in a stressed world. So, Diane, what are some of your go-to tips that people yeah. actually can do at home? Thank you. I have mm-hmm. a couple. So, one is we were talking about, we just shared one about like getting in touch with the resourcing in your in your body, but let's say you feel like you're triggered and you, it's not a huge trauma, right? Let's say every time you talk to your spouse, you just want to scream at them and you're angry and you really want to work on that anger. I'm going to use a, a, a slight example and you feel dysregulated and you always have to go and take breaks, but you don't know how to handle it really. Or maybe you don't even know how to take breaks. You just shove it down. I would encourage you when you're feeling triggered or anxious and you notice a sign in your body, oh, anger, that's your sign. Go in the other room, go somewhere where you, you know, or you're sweating or your stomach tight, whatever those activations are, sit in a comfortable position, turn on this bilateral music, find it, glance around the room till you notice a spot that connects with the activation in your body. So, okay, my heart's racing. I have this sound on. I look around the room. Okay. Yeah. I feel really activated in this spot. Stare at that spot for a while and just ask yourself, you know, where in my body am I noticing this activation? And can I witness it? Wow, what's happening? Oh, my stomach's tight or it's my heart's really more racing than this. Oh my gosh, now I'm sweating. And then see what happens in your body. See if it changes. See if there's anything else that moves. See if you can witness your body and pay attention and talk to your body. And if it becomes too much and that feels like, oh my gosh, it's getting worse, then find a calm spot in your body, right? Where am I calm, grounded, or neutral? Where do I feel not activated? And again, if you can't find anything, just find something that maybe makes you feel safe. It could often, it could be just your butt because it's on the ground. Um, And just pay attention or if you want, visualize something that makes you feel calm, grounded, or neutral, like a place in nature, if you can't find something in your body. Um, and just notice that and look around the room and see if you can find something that calms you down, that eye position. And then again, just start, note, what do I notice? What do I notice in my body? What is it doing? What's happening? And then uh, can I share one other technique or we do not have enough time? No, no we got plenty it. of time. Go for it. <laughs> okay. So this is an evidence-based treatment that we use for panic attacks. And a lot of people are having a ton of anxiety now in the world. It's called virgins therapy. Have you heard of it, Scott or Michelle? I think I've talked. No. I actually have not heard of this one. Oh, awesome. Um, it was, if you want to look up the Merrill Bowen, he's an OD. Um, it's the, it's called, you know, treatment of panic attack with virgins therapy. Um, if you guys want to look up the evidence around it. So we, a lot of people use this. It's not just brain spotting, but it accesses the vagus nerve, which is a major source for parasympathetic stimulation, right? In the visual areas or whatever. Um, it, again, this was done by a doctor. So you just take a pen or a pencil or anything you want to use as a pointer. Um, and I think we modify the technique. I have to admit a little bit from, from what, at least I, I have seen that's what we do from uh, what they say in the article. But so take a pen or pencil, hold it about 12 to 18 inches from your face. And you want it, you need it like centered at your eye, right? Whatever that is. Um, And you want to be able to locate a distant target as far away in the room as possible that lines up with that pointer. So let's say you're looking 12 to, you know, about 12 to 18 inches. And then you, you glance to the same position at the end of the room, like at the wall or whatever, something to the furthest place. And you want to move your eyes from that pen, that close target to the end of the far target about every, I don't know, five to 10 seconds. It depends for people, but you want it three to 10 seconds. You really want to make sure you're not like feeling nauseous or anything. So just go three to 10 seconds, shift back and forth. And you could do that for about up to a minute. 
And basically they've had panic attacks and pain begin to subside within 20 to 60 seconds. And the results have lasted from hours to days. And with continuous practice, people doing this, we've noticed weeks and months where they haven't had any panic attacks. I got to tell you, Diana, number one, I'd never heard it called that. That technique was actually part of my brain spotting training. Yeah. I just didn't get so okay. I just wanted to make sure it's, it's good, but I'm really clear because it is in brain spotting. It's not brain spotting thing. I I, uh, I thought that they trained it in brain spotting, but it, it was done by a doctor and people can use it all over. So I just want you to know. <laughs> I like to clarify awesome. what we've learned but may not be brain Well, you're also great Very at cool. giving credit where credit is due, Diane. Thank you. Right. <laughs> so wait, I Dr. Again, it was it was Carol Bowen, right? B O W E N. The the not Carol. I think it is. Sorry, Meryl. Meryl. Yes, spelled Meryl. Uh, M E R R I L L D Bowen. B O W M A N and an O D. So an M D, but an O D. Got it. Okay. Great. I did. I had no. Yay. I've learned something new on our show today. This is wonderful. <laughs> Clearly you already use it. You just didn't know it's not brain funny. <laughs> Urgent therapy and doctors use it for, for yeah, panic attacks. And anybody can use that. Any person, you don't have to be a practitioner. You don't have to be licensed. If you're out there listening, that's a therapy you can use with yourself and you can teach other people having panic attacks. Yeah. Well, I can now see why Michelle loves you so much. Aww. Um, and I think you, I think you and I could probably chat for days if, if not longer, <laughs> if we ever sat down, because I, I just, I, I feel like a sponge and I want to get to know you more and just get this info. I do uh, have I information. I would say. <laughs> Diane is a, a very avid reader and researcher. This woman does her research. So Wonderful. I highly recommend her. Well, I want to, I want to personally thank you, Diane, for coming on. We hadn't met before, but I feel like we've known each other for quite a while. Um, Michelle, anything you want to end on? Uh, deep, profound gratitude to my friend, Diane, for coming on and spending an hour of your heartbeats with us for free. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a limited number of heartbeats we talk about on this show all the time and your heartbeats are precious to me. So thank you, Diane, for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk about brain spotting and I want to get more people turned on to it. I'm sure Scott does too. So anywhere people want to have me talk about it so more people can use it, especially in this world right now where there's so much trauma. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I love to get more people connected with brain spotting folks. Scott, we never really answered your question between the EMDR brain spotting and did you not want to do that? Um, we've okay. actually, I, I think that we've given them enough <laughs> for today. Tease and seduction over what brain spotting is. I think they can tell that you and I are uh, avid proponents of it in the situation and in a way that at least is, is controlled at the beginning before we set them free. Uh, so with that, I, I really encourage everybody uh, to get a hold of Diane if you want to learn more about this at dianebalinski.com. And uh, if you have any questions, you can certainly pass it on to us and we can pass that on to Diane uh, or you can make a direct connection with her. Um, Michelle, thank you uh, for co-hosting this, for bringing Diane on. Of course. And uh, with that, we're going to bring this to an end. Everybody, may you live with peace. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. Live with ease. Bye-bye. You've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Your Together in a Stressed World with Michelle Post and Scott Grossberg. If you like our show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate our broadcast, and leave a review. The podcast is for general information only and not intended to be legal or mental health advice, nor the formation of a lawyer-client, nor therapist-patient relationship. Stay tuned for our next episode, and thank you for listening.